0: Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Hi, my name is Todd Stiles, one of the pastors at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa. Really glad you joined us today on September 5th, this Tuesday. And today we'll do what we always do. We'll take a look back at last week's text and provide some further observations, some additional applications, some additional insight. Uh, And I want to do that especially in regards to verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. You know, in that verse, and I'll just kind of tackle that verse singularly today. Um, in that verse, Paul does give us six comprehensive, rather expansive categories in which a Christian is to think—the uh, virtues, or the values, or we could even say the standards—that should um, describe our mental posture, how we talk, how we are to intentionally. Uh, think and contemplate what's going on. Uh, It's the filter for how we are to um, process our thoughts. And Paul uses the uh, six adjectives to describe and talk about this mental posture. Uh, He he then follows up these six adjectives, which, by the way, they are the six categories, the true things, the noble things, um, the just things, the lovely things, the admirable things. I think there's one more, and it slips my mind here currently. Um, but these six categories, uh, they're affirmed or they're modified by these two conditional clauses in which Paul says, since the, these things are excellent and six, since these things are praiseworthy. It's this word excellent that really caught my attention. Like, Why would Paul uh, describe these categories as excellent, or the word there is virtuous, uh, it's the only time he uses this word in the New Testament. And so Paul is driving at something among the Philippian church. He's making some clear statements, not only to the Philippian believers, but I think, think to those who then watch them. And, and I found it very interesting, the history of this word, where it's used, what it's derived from. And I found that a lot of commentators really agree on something that I think is quite interesting historically that Paul probably uses this word, and there's a high degree of probability here, okay? Uh, Paul more than likely uses this word um, as a challenge, shall we say, or at least as a way to show that Christianity is a legitimate way of viewing the culture and a legitimate, I'll even use the word option here, for how to process things happening in the culture and so he borrows, uh, we could even use the word hijack. He um, takes a word from the culture, which is the word virtue or the word excellence, and he applies it to the standards, to the, um, the, the um, framework of Christianity and says, this is how Christians think. This is the mental posture of those who follow Jesus. Now, remember... Uh, religious systems of that day, even well before Paul's time, all had virtues. This is not a new thought. I would remind you that Plato had uh, four basic or essential virtues. Some would call them the cardinal virtues. And of course, his uh, student, Aristotle, had also a, a pretty strong list of different moral and intellectual virtues, well, more than four for sure. Uh, And then, of course, those who came out of that type of philosophical thought, of course, the Stoics were in the 300s, and they were based and uh, founded out of Athens, Greece. Um, They also then adopted some virtues, or uh, we would call them standards, uh, philosophical frameworks. And this kind of thing continued, and I, I would even say to you it's probable that this is the type of thing Paul was addressing in Acts 17 when he is at Mars Hill and he's talking to the various philosophers who had you know an image erected for all the various little G gods and Paul uses that moment to philosophically engage with him about the unknown God um, so so there's a lot going on here I think Paul uses this term to make sure he says to his, dear friends in Philippi, and perhaps even to those in the city. uh, He's saying there is a framework. There are virtues within Christianity. Don't look outside of what God has given us to make sense of the culture, perhaps. Don't look to uh, systems of thought or religious systems, other beliefs made by man, developed by other uh, humans. Let's lean and derive all of our framework for thinking from God and his word. And so Paul here, I think, is really uh, uh, strategically, and maybe I could even say subtly, um, clearly saying to his readers, here's the virtues of Christian thinking. Here's how we make sense of what's around us. Here's how we filter what we see and what we hear and what comes into all of our different gates, you know, visually, audibly, sensibly. Here's how we make sense of that. It's through these six uh, comprehensive, expansive categories. And I think that's very intriguing. You know, Paul here is um, recognizing that this is how people are created. They are created with eternity in their hearts. They're drawn to um, live by a certain set of values. And let's be honest, sometimes those values are messed up. That They can be wicked and wrong, but nonetheless, everyone lives up to a certain value, and those values are typically of their own making uh, most people, and especially in our culture, don't derive values from outside of them. They usually take what they value, or what they want, what they desire or crave, and they formulate either their own set of values or they'll synchronize them with another set of values and create their own. Syncretism is no doubt a, a quite popular thought currently. It's not new, but it's definitely currently popular. And so this is really what really drives all of us is, Uh, Whose standard or framework or values, or can we use the word virtues, do I look to and say, this is how I will live my life, this is how I'll think about life and culture and my existence? And Paul here says there are six expansive categories that really provide for us the Christian framework, the Christian way to think, and he calls us to this very type of mental posture. Another piece of evidence that I think really leans in to the, to the, um, to the idea that perhaps Paul is here um, borrowing a term from the culture to speak into the culture via the church and to encourage those believers not to be um, sidetracked or detoured or deceived, but to realize here are the virtues that God has given us. Another point of evidence is that two of these categories, the words used to describe them, um, they're they're only used this one time in the New Testament. Those two categories are the categories of whatever things are lovely and then whatever things are admirable. And incidentally, the, the term noble or honorable, or I think in some translations it's honest, is the, uh, mentioned only in the pastoral epistles. So there is some sense in which Paul is not only using new words, at least three times, uh, and we must ask ourselves why, and I think it's because he's trying to address um, to those believers uh, the issue of how to think rightly and comprehensively and expansively in the culture, well, but we also ask ourselves, then what is the end result of that? If we know what Paul is aiming at, if we know the why, then um, is there a, a sense in which we understand the what? And of course, I think... Um, as one writer says, by borrowing or even redefining these terms in regards to virtues with Christianity in view. The one writer says this, and I quote, life in Christ brings to fulfillment the highest moral aspirations in the surrounding culture. And so Paul here is making sure that his readers don't just look to the world and adopt virtues and think, well, that's what, does, that's what society says, or that's what's the popular opinion or method or view. Paul here says, no, let's think about uh, all that is in front of us through six biblical uh, God-given uh, frameworks or categories. These are the categories, or, or these are the, the frameworks, these are the virtues of uh, of Christianity. So let me just simply say, as a result of some of this historical um, high-probability work that has really gone into this simple word, excellence or virtue, you know, knowing that, I think two things emerge, and I want to share these with you today as an applicational uh, perspective of this historical data— I say this, first of all, that Christianity is the only option where virtues are defined outside of ourselves, not decided by ourselves. And Paul here is listing six categories that actually flow from the character of God. And so he's not saying you make up your frameworks, you make up your virtues, which is really what Aristotle and Plato, even Plutarch, who um, was a later philosopher— In in many of these Hellenistic circles, uh, Stoic uh, philosophers, you know, they would make things up, Uh, they would draw upon previous teachers, but it was still derived from a man, a person. Paul here is saying, no, here's the set of virtues— that come from the character of God, and that lead to the worship and praise of God. He's removing ourselves from setting the standard, and he's saying that standard is an absolute standard outside of ourselves. And that's how we are to think. We're to think on those things. We're to have a mental posture that says an authority outside of me has set the framework for how to think. I think this is beautiful. I think it's freeing. Uh, I think it's challenging. And it is what sets Christianity apart. Um, And and Paul here is, and I think in some sense by using this word and then showing that the culture doesn't get to own the word virtue. We have a set of virtues, but we don't think of them. They're given to us from God. I think it's a wonderful, freeing, satisfying, contenting place to land. And the second applicational statement I want to make is this, that I believe in this word and understanding its historical background and and a highly probable usage and aim, I think Paul is saying to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Christianity is the only system of belief. It's the only framework of virtues that really can make sense of the culture or, shall we say, give purpose to the culture. Without these virtues, without these frameworks, without these standards by which we can filter What comes at us, we will not be able to make sense of the culture. We won't know what's false if we don't have what God says is true. We won't know what's just if we don't have what God knows to be unjust in front of us and written for us and modeled for us in Christ. And you could go from category to category and see that these are modeled in Christ. They come from the character of God. And so they really give us tools by which we can make sense of the culture. And they give us tools by which we can uh, really have purpose in culture. We can engage the culture. And I love the fact that these words really challenge me and they encourage me. They provide courage to me to engage the culture because this is a verse that really calls for a comprehensive expansive, full-orbed type of thinking in the Christian, about all things cultural. Again, it's not just a verse that says, only think about the Christian things. He's he's saying, think about everything in a Christian way. And so I think, (laughs) because of the roots of the word virtue and Paul's use of it here and what was happening historically, even philosophically, Paul is saying, Philippian believers, don't be afraid to engage your culture. Here is a set of frameworks and philosophical values that come from God, and they can guide your engagement in the culture, and they can guide your thinking and your mental posture and your contemplation about all issues. Here are the six categories by which you can live strongly, biblically, and courageously in the culture and not feel taken captive by the culture. It's my prayer that we'll do that, that we'll think in these six ways, knowing that the promise at the end will be kept by God and that He, the God of peace, will be with us.